0: Let them see you. Let them see you and me. Well, how many of you today, when you got up this morning, had a problem free, stress free morning? Anyone? All right, two, three, four of you. Those are most of you probably without kids. (laughs) How many of you this morning, things got a little chaotic in getting to church? All right. How many of you did something unchristian this morning? <laughs> Said something you didn't want to say, felt something you didn't want. Maybe you got frustrated with uh with the kids or, or who who knows what. And and sometimes on Sunday mornings, you know, that that's that's common. And I know in our house as well, there there are days where I prefer to drive separately from, from my family when I get to church. Uh I you know it's yeah, hon, I gotta get here earlier than everybody else. Um, and other weeks we try to make it work, you try to share a car, you know, I'm you know taking care of stuff at home still my message i do my prep at home and and it kind of works out that we go together but that's always stressful like getting all the kids loaded up in the van driving over here and then there's inevitably you know some screaming somebody's got something going on in the car and you know we're, we're just getting into the parking lot here and then we come through these doors we usually come over this side here i come through the curtain and then it's like hello everybody your pastor is here How's everybody doing? You doing all right? Isn't it great to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Okay, I don't really talk like that. But, you know, it's so easy. We're talking about facades. And it's so easy in church. And I think church is one of the easiest places to wear masks, to put up a facade. And and granted, we shouldn't always just be wearing all of our issues and problems on our sleeve. And, you know, you had a rough day, suck it up, come to church, you know, put a smile on. You know, we're not talking about that. But we were joking as we came in and and talked with the band. How you doing this morning? Oh, good, good. How How are you? Now, that's a part of our greeting in our society, right? How are you doing? And the typical answer is fine. And then the other one is, anyone? Great. Another one's busy. Busy. Really busy. Everyone's always really busy. Tired. Right. But we don't have time to get into the details. And so we kind of leave it at that and we move on. And so a lot of times we can just kind of put up a facade and say, hey, everything's OK. I'm good. You're good. And let's just get to church. Let's just worship and let's just do what we do here. And as we're talking about the series that we're in called Facade today, I really want to look at the facades that we build as followers of Christ and really looking at the facade of a believer. Now, as a reminder, we, we, we started last week in the series. I want to put this definition up of facade, and, and we, looked, uh, we looked into this. The facade in common daily usage is the front of a building. And again, it can disguise what's behind the building. If you have a nice entrance and some nice trees, you can have a bunch of junk in the back. But the facade is what you notice, but that's the front. But in the way that we're using it here, it's a way of behaving or appearing that gives other people a false idea of your true feelings or situation. And so it's the front that we put on. It's this, uh, the facade that we wear saying, hey, everything's okay, I'm all right, life's good. Let's just, you know, let's just do church and let's be about that. Now, uh, last week we looked at a key verse and it's in First Samuel. Let's take a look at that one in First Samuel sixteen seven, Because we talked about so much of a facade is that we want to impress other people. We want to put something out there that we want to let other people think is truly us. And it's maybe a misrepresentation of who we are. But we looked at this passage and it said, but the Lord said to Samuel, Samuel was trying to discern who the next king would be. And he was looking at maybe somebody who would be really strong and bold and maybe the oldest son. And and, and he said, the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't make decisions the way you do. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so, what we want to get at in all these different weeks is we're talking about this facade series and we're looking at all these different facades that we want to break down. Last week, we talked about just our image in general and how we bust that facade. But as we go each week, we want to look at how do we get behind that wall? How can we break that wall down and really know that God looks at our heart? He already knows what's truly there. We're only fooling, trying to fool other people, and we're only trying to fool ourselves with uh, the facades we build. So, how can we become more authentic? How can we become more genuine and how can we find freedom in being truly who God created us to be? And so this week, I really want to look at the spiritual facade. And what is a spiritual facade? Well, it's acting holier, better, more spiritually put together than we really are. Or it's maybe thinking we're better than we really are. And it's, it's giving this image that I'm a follower of Christ and, and, and I go to church and I worship and, and everything's fine. But the rest of our life may not really sync up and match with that. One of the number one criticisms of followers of Christ by non-believers is found in a word that begins with the letter H. What is it? Yeah, hypocrisy. Hypocrites. What do they mean by that? And sometimes that's really unfair, because I think a lot of people expect, oh, you say you're a follower of Christ, they expect you to be perfect, and we all know we're not perfect, we're forgiven, right? We're working at at, at following God, and other people, but what they mean behind that is they're saying, look, I hear what you're saying, the words coming out of your mouth, or maybe what you do on a Sunday morning, but it doesn't line up with what I see happening here at the office, with what I see happening at school, with what I see happening at the shop. With the way I see you interacting with your family or your kids or what I what I see out in the community, and so they're saying there's a there's a disjointedness, and so you've got one facade, the front that says I am a follower of Christ, I'm a believer, but on the other side of it is maybe something else that's going on, and I believe that again the church is the easiest place to build facades, and I think there's this odd dynamic that happens is we know that 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 God is holy, we know that God expects um, you know has just a standard. That is, that is great. I mean, when we read the, the Bible, the Old Testament, how can we possibly live up to everything that God would expect from us and to be holy people? And, and, and sometimes we project that back onto the church, and we think that's what everybody in the church wants us. They want us to act a certain way, to be a certain way. I can't make any mistakes. I can't let my faults be known. And, and so we, we want to come in and, and basically present something that is maybe not there and maybe not really authentically there. And others of us don't really aren't even really maybe deep in the faith. Maybe we're just kind of exploring it. Maybe we're just kind of going along for the ride. And so when we're here, we just pretend to go along with the crowd. We pretend we're worshiping and singing and doing all that. But, but there's no substance there. Now, I get this little little charade, this facade, because I played it really well. And I think it, and sometimes in our lives, I would bet all of us have had to deal with this issue of a spiritual facade. When I was in, in, in junior high and high school and in college, uh, I really, really was torn between two worlds, church world and the rest of the world. And in church world, my dad's a pastor and, uh, you know, we grew up in a pastor's home and, and in the church and, and I love the church. I love being a part of the church. I loved doing having my friends there, went to youth camps and the Sunday schools and the youth group. And, and that was just a great part of my life. But when I was at church, I knew what was expected and I knew how to act and I knew how to be and did the Bible studies, did whatever was there. And, uh, and, and felt comfortable in that environment. But sometimes inside, I, I wasn't sure if, if I totally bought it all. Or if it was all really, you know, true. Because there's a part of me that was also pulled to, well, what my friends are doing. What everyone else in the world is doing. Why does that seem so different? Why do they maybe seem like they're having more fun? And why do they not have to care? Why do they not have to go to church on a Sunday morning? Why do their parents let them do this, that, and the other? And so there, there were these two worlds. And when I was in church, I felt... Fine and I could do what I was what was expected from church. But when I was at school or when I was with friends, I kinda wanted to push that stuff to the back. I didn't really want people to know I'm a Christian. I didn't like it when people said, Oh, you you know, your your dad's the pastor of that church. Oh yeah, I'm the pastor's kid. I didn't like that. I didn't because I think people had expectations there. And I just wanted to be like everyone else. And so sometimes I said things I didn't want to say or shouldn't have said. I, I did things I shouldn't have done or didn't want to do. And I just wore a different facade. And you know what begins to happen is sometimes you forget which world you're in. Are you, am I in church or in the world? Am I here? And, and what happens is when we have these different facades, different faces, there's no authenticity. And you begin to really question, who am I? And Am I, am I trying to be something in one situation and then not in another? How do we find that, that trueness that no matter how you're sliced... <laughs> No matter where you are, if somebody sees you in public or in private, in church or at work, you're the same through and through. Isn't that what you desire from other people? <laughs> you know, isn't that what you want? You know, you, if you go to church with your boss and, and you see you know him or her worshiping, and then you go and and you know the, you see them involved in church, but then they go to you see them in the office and they're real jerks. Don't you kind of go? Where are your Christian values? Like, th- shouldn't that kind of coincide? Shouldn't that kind of come through and through? And so what we want to talk about this morning is this old phrase, we don't just want to talk the talk, but we want to what? Walk, walk the walk and walk the talk, what we're, what we're doing. And so um, we're going we're gonna to dive into this. And, and here's the thing, this is, this is not an easy topic to talk about because Jesus and the Bible has some of the harshest words on this topic. The harshest words are reserved for people who put on a facade about their faith. And so we're going to dig into some of these scriptures. We're going to have a lot of scriptures this morning because I really want to hear, want you to hear what the word of God says, both in the New Testament and in the Old Testament. And then what are we going to do about that? And so some of the harshest words um, we're going to begin with. And then we're going to begin with a passage that's, that's kind of, um, well, we're going to, let's turn to uh, Matthew, chapter, Matthew chapter 23, Matthew chapter 23. And it's always easy, and if you've been in the church for a while, uh, it's easy to pick on the Pharisees. They're fun to pick on because it's like you kind of go, oh, let's just let's just kind of pick on these Pharisees. And the Pharisees, if you don't know who they were, they were the teachers of religious law, the rabbis, the priests. They were the ones maybe, you know, today that you would say the pastors or the, the, the teachers in the seminaries, the ones who you go, they ought to have it all together. They're the ones who, who just tried to live perfect to the letter of the law, to not mess up one little thing. And, and in that society the people, the Jewish people, looked up to the rabbis as, these were the ones who have arrived. These were the people that, boy, if we could aspire to, we could never live like those Pharisees. We could never be like them. I mean, they just have devoted their whole lives. They're living so so um, perfect, and, and they're the ones that God must love because they're doing everything right. And so, in some ways, that was kind of like this idea of, well, if we could, if we could aspire to that, that would be that would be the goal, and Jesus has many interactions, and, and we read about a passage in in, uh, in chapter twenty three of Matthew, and even just before that in in chapter twenty two, Jesus is in a setting where he's out in public, and there are uh, the crowds are around, and then there's teachers, there's rabbis, there's there's like these legal professors in religion, and he's having these this interaction with them, and they're asking him different questions like what's the most important commandment, and then Jesus answered, and then. You know, and then another question, Who Jesus asked, who do you think is the Messiah? And, and they're having these theological discussions. And for some of you that might be interesting, and for others of you going, uh, I don't know. But it's this debate that's going on. And in this setting, where it's going back and forth, and they're having this kind of theological discussion, which is easy for us to have. We can, we can get together with people, and we can talk about what it means to be a follower of Christ. We can sit in a Bible study, we can sit in a small group, we can sit here on Sunday mornings and talk about what the word of God says. And we can debate, you know, different topics, different issues. And we can just leave it on this level up here. Who is the Messiah? What's the most important commandment? And we can write books about it. We can talk about it till we're, till we're blue in the face. And eventually Jesus kind of cuts through the garbage. And in chapter 23 says this, Then Jesus said to the crowds and, and to his disciples. So he kind of turns away from the, 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 the Pharisees. And he now looks at the crowds and he says this. The teachers of religious law and the Pharisees are the official interpreters of the Scriptures. So practice and obey whatever they say to you. That's good, right? He's saying, like, they're, they're teaching you good stuff. They're interpreting the Scriptures. They're telling you everything that's important. So do what they sell, tell you to do, but don't follow their example. You think that caused a little bit of a commotion there in that setting with the, with the rabbis and priests wearing these, these, these fancy robes and, and, and you know being admired by all the people? Nobody, you don't, talk, you don't talk to Pharisees like this, not in that society. So listen to what they say. They teach you good things, but don't follow their example. For they don't practice what they teach. They crush you with impossible religious demands and never lift a finger to help ease the burden. Everything they do... Is for show. I underline that in my Bible. Everything they do is for show. What do we do? That's for show. How much of what we do is for show? Isn't that the essence of a facade? It's for show. It's what I want you to see. It's what I want you to believe. It's how I want you to look at me differently. But I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it for show. And then he goes further, and he starts getting. You know, he just kind of warming up the crowd a little bit with with this. He it gets it gets pretty intense. We're going to let's jump over here to. Um, to verse 23. I'm just going to read a passage for you and kind of imagine being in that setting and and hearing these things and what the reaction of the Pharisees would be and what the people are saying. Here's Jesus. How terrible it will be for you teachers of religious law, you Pharisees. Hypocrites! For you're careful to tithe even the tiniest part of your income, but you ignore the important things of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but you should not leave undone the more important things. Blind guides, you strain your water so you won't accidentally swallow a gnat. Then you swallow a camel. How terrible it will be for you, teachers of religious law, you Pharisees. Hypocrites, you are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish. But inside you are filthy, full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisees, first wash the outside of the cup. Then the inside will become clean too. How terrible it will be for you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees. Hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. You try to look like upright people outwardly, but inside your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. And he goes on. Do you think it was kind of quiet when he was speaking? doesn't sound like the meek and mild Jesus, right? Oh, bless you, my child. This is Jesus cutting to the chase because he reserves some of his harshest words when he's speaking to people who claim to be religious or who go through religious motions. And he calls them hypocrites. What's a hypocrite? Well, did you know the root of that word in Greek is hypocrite? I'm not going to try to impress you with a lot of Greek. (laughs) It's Hippocrates or something like that. And, uh, but basically what it meant is that was the same word that they used in Greek theater for the actors that would go on stage. And basically they were called play actors on a stage were called hypocrites. So we could replace that word hypocrites with the word actor, right? Could you imagine the Academy Awards? This year's nominees for the best hypocrite are, <laughs> right? A hypocrite is somebody who pretends to be something on stage that's not true in real life. So when you know the actor is, is Russell Crowe, what are some roles that he's played? What are some characters that he's played? Gladiator, right? And Noah, right? And and some guy who sings in, in Les Mis. Um, and so every time he gets on stage, he takes on a different persona. And so you look at him and you go, well, we know that's not really Russell Crowe. He's not really a gladiator. He's not really Noah. But eventually he begins to take us into... Um, if you get captured into the story, you start forgetting, and pretty soon you're engaged in the story and you're following the, the movie, and pretty soon you think Russell Crowe is that very character. But what happens when the lights turn off and when he's behind the scenes? It's Russell Crowe, some ordinary guy, right? And and aren't we also impressed when when we watch movies and then they say like a, an, an actor did all their own stunts? Isn't I mean don't we doesn't that make you kind of appreciate that a little more because? It's not just cinematography, CGI, graphics, all this stuff. Somebody's really doing their own thing. We kind of go, oh, that really is them. And, and and it gives us some more value. But but what happens is this idea of, of actors is we put on a different persona depending on what role we want to play. And so being a hypocrite is just being somebody who takes on a different role in different places, says one thing, but it doesn't really match up with the rest of your life. And so Jesus reserved these words in a very specific way and he says to you pharisees you who pretend to be religious people you're acting and you're acting your lines are right the lines you're saying the words you're saying are are true so people follow what they what they say but don't do what they do and then he says you spend all this time to clean the outside of the cup and he's saying isn't that what a facade is we're trying to create these white washed walls and he says you whitewash tombs have you ever thought about what how much effort and money gets spent on caskets have you seen some of the stuff? I've seen some of the stuff out there on, online. These amazingly ornate caskets. Now you can even get them with the logos of your favorite sports teams. Isn't that great? Wow, to have a casket with like, you know, the, the, the Arizona Cardinals, you know, a big red casket with a big cardinal on there. And you can spend, hun, I mean, thousands and thousands of dollars on these, ornate, on these ornate caskets, that sparkle and glitter. You can probably get jewels and diamonds. And what's the point? Put me in a pine box and burn it. I'm serious. Like, there is no value after that. I mean, I understand wanting to have a nice funeral and honor that person. But how crazy. And what Jesus is saying, he's calling people. You're that casket that you're spending so much time and energy on, but what's inside of a casket? Nothing. Death, decay, darkness. Why are you spending so much time? Why do we spend our lives to try to end up in a beautiful casket, be a beautiful person, right? The most beautiful funeral is not the one who has the nicest casket. It's the one who has the most beautiful life. Then it doesn't matter what they get buried in or if they're cremated or who knows. It's about the life that you celebrate. And Jesus is saying, look, don't spend all this time on all these external things. Get at the heart of the matter. Let's do some business and let's not be these walking tombs that inside are dead but outside. Hey, how are you doing? Great. Fine. Life's good. I'm just following Jesus every day. And yet inside, we're really, we're really struggling. So he uses this word hypocrites. And, and, it, and it just begins to put this image on us of acting so what when do we act let's stop picking on the Pharisees let's get a little more a little more personal when when do we act let me ask you a question we did uh, three worship songs this morning you don't have to raise your hands no no raising of hands how many of us actually felt like you were in the presence of God worshiping him with those words and how many of us in different times may have started thinking about some other things may have been thinking about lunch maybe one of the playoff games i'll admit during one of the songs i started thinking about my message and then i have to go like i'm worshiping and sometimes i'm like you know i'm raising my hands or i'm singing and i i do that sometimes because it physically it helps me concentrate on what i'm doing too it actually helped me like god like when i'm singing and i put my hands out like this it's, it's it reminds me more than just you know, standing there physically, I engage it. But the question is, are we acting? I mean, when we come to church on Sunday morning, isn't this a great stage, right? Is, and this isn't just the stage, you realize, right? I mean, this is all the stage. I mean, this whole thing is staged at some level. If you could say, I mean, we put it all together, it looks nice. Where's the authenticity? Is there trueness? Or are we just going through the motions and acting? Well, there's some. There's a couple scriptures here that, um, that really relate to this. And in uh, Matthew chapter 15, a little... Before this passage um, that I was just reading to you in Matthew 23, Matthew chapter 15, verse 8, Jesus is, is saying this. Verse, Actually, in verse 7, he begins, You hypocrites, he likes that word, apparently, you're acting. <laughs> and he's talking to people, you're acting. Isaiah was prophesying about you when he said, The people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far away. Their worship is a farce. He just immense words about this stuff. He's saying, are we going to, are we going to keep playing this game? Are we going to have this facade? Or are we going to get real? For they replace God's commands with their own man-made teachings. And so you say one thing, but you really follow some of the teachings on your, uh, on your, of your own. And then in Amos, this is great too. In Amos chapter five, um, if it's great, if you like harsh words and like people kind of like sticking it to, to others, um, Amos is the shepherd man, right? And, uh, and he's called to be a prophet, and he's beginning to approach uh, some of, the, some of the, the wealthy, some of the, the well-to-do people in that area that, that, that claim to be followers you know, of God that were part of the Jewish people. In Amos chapter 5, let me read to you a few verses here where he's speaking on behalf of God, and he's saying this is what God is saying to you, to those people, and he's saying this. I hate all your show and pretense, the hypocrisy of your religious festivals and solemn assemblies. I will not accept your burnt offerings and grain offerings. I won't even notice all your choice peace offerings. Away with your hymns of praise. They are only noise to my ears. I will not listen to your music, no matter how lovely it is. What is what's God saying to us? I mean, is, it, does, does, does this, is this just noise? And the same thing can happen for two different people here. One person's praise can be noise. And other persons can be a sweet offering to God in the same place. So it's not just what's around. It's what matters and what's at the heart. And what's, where are you spiritually, personally, as you connect before God? And then he says this, though. It's not just the state of the heart. He goes further. He says, There are only noise to my ears. I will not listen to your music, no matter how lovely it is. Instead, verse 24, I want to see a mighty flood of justice, a river of righteous living that will never run dry. And so here we're we're, we're going to start making a little turn. Because it's not just the words that we say, and of course it matters what's in our heart is the key, but he's saying it's more than just what's in your heart and the words that you say. He's saying, I want to see righteous living. So now he's saying, look, it's not just what you say with your words and what you profess, but it's about what you do. It's how you live your life. It actually matters what you do when you leave from here and what you do when you come here and how you spend the rest of your week. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, back in the New Testament, Jesus speaks into this and, and what he wants us to do in this very matter. And he says this. He says, many were going to come to me. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Not all people who sound religious are really godly. They may refer to me as Lord, but they still won't enter the kingdom of heaven. The decisive issue... Okay, when Jesus says there's a decisive issue, we better underline that in our Bibles. <laughs> This is the decisive issue. It's not about saying, Lord, Lord. It's not about raising your hands in worship and saying the right words. He's saying the decisive issue is whether they obey my father in heaven. And so what he's saying is here, our lives have to be congruent, that the facade isn't just words, isn't just statements of belief. That's a that's just a wall of religion. What needs to be behind it is what we do and how do we live our lives? And he says, obedience is the key. Obedience is the decisive issue. And if you really want a a section on obedience, we really need to turn to James chapter 1. Because he's really talking about this this interplay between grace and works and freedom. And and of course, we're saved by grace alone. We can never earn our way to God. And so it's not just about acting and trying to work so hard to get to God. It's never what gets us there. It's just grace. It's God accepting us for who we are. It's why when we come to God and we, we surrender our lives and what's symbolized in baptism, we just say, God... Take me as I am. No facade. Just as I am. I'm not putting, I can't, I can't put up any walls before you. I can't pretend to do anything. You see the shame. You see the guilt. You see the things in my life that I've done wrong. And yet you still love me. Grace comes in. But for some of us, and maybe if you've misheard this too, or maybe you think this is the way with churches, check, I've accepted Christ. Check, done that. Okay, I believe those things. Okay, I believe Jesus is Lord. Check. Or I've done, I've been baptized. And, and then when we, and we've done that, we can quickly begin to build that facade again. But what he's saying here is, look, there's got to be some action that comes behind us. So in James chapter 1, and the whole book of James just really hits hard at the whole idea of, of just what we do and how we, how we live those things out. James chapter 1, verse 22 to 27. And remember, it's a message to obey, not just to listen to. If you don't obey, you're only fooling yourself. And that's what I love about this whole idea of facades and hypocrisy. Who are we fooling? Ourselves. We may be fooling others for a while. We think we may pull the wool over God's eyes or hope we can work our way towards him, even though he's saying, I know your heart. But in the end, the sad part about religious facades is really, in the end, we're just fooling ourselves. And maybe even fooling ourselves into thinking that that it's pleasing to God or it's pleasing to others when, when what he's looking for is what's going on in our hearts and our lives and what's the obedience there if you don't obey you're only fooling yourself or if you just listen and don't obey it's like looking at your face in a mirror but doing nothing to improve your appearance you see yourself walk away and forget what you look like what he's saying is look when we gather together when we come before God whether it's in your you know whether it's in your bible reading whether it's here in worship when we hear God's word to us there's a reflection. It's like holding up a big mirror, right? When we're reading God's word, it's like reading, a, looking at a mirror. But the thing is, this mirror doesn't just reflect what we think we project. It reflects the trueness for us. And when we start seeing, you know what? A message comes on forgiveness. And God's word challenges us to forgive. And we know there's somewhere we need to forgive someone. But we walk away and kind of go, eh, don't want to do that. We can preach forgiveness. We can speak forgiveness. You can have debates around coffee with others about what it really means to forgive and, and, and what we should do. But if you don't actually take the step of forgiveness, there's no growth in your life. That's hypocrisy. There's, there's a facade. You're acting like you're doing the things of God, but you're not really doing them. And so he's saying, look, we've got we've to gotta be about these things. And then what I, I love what it says here in verse, uh, verse 25. But if you keep looking steadily into God's perfect law, the law that sets you free. <laughs> I mean, that's the whole point about the facade. We build it, and it actually becomes our own prison. It's the very thing that we try to have to support and keep up and, and keep everybody happy, and it actually becomes a prison. And when we look into God's law, when we bust through these things, there is freedom behind that. And then it says, and if you do what it says, and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. And so then he it gets, gets a little more practical here, right? So instead of just saying, okay, walk and do, he gets practical. If you claim to be religious, but don't control your tongue, you are just fooling yourself. And your religion is worthless. Pure and lasting religion in the sight of God, our Father, means that we must care for orphans and widows in their troubles and refuse to let the world corrupt us. He gets really specific. He's saying, you can talk again about poverty. You can talk about meeting the needs of the lonely and others. But what are you doing about it? True religion is about being involved, is about getting active and then he continues on back in, in verse 14 of chapter 2 your brothers and sisters what's the use of saying you have faith and if you don't prove it by your actions I mean, he's challenging you got to prove it by your actions you got to prove it by what you do not just what you say he's saying that kind of faith can't save anyone if your if your actions don't match up and he get specific again suppose you see a brother or a sister who needs food or clothing and you say well <laughs> goodbye and god bless you stay warm and eat well But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, it isn't enough just to have faith. Oh, that contradicts a lot of what people say. All those bumper stickers, you just got to have faith. The Bible talks about that as the foundation. We can't earn God's favor, but faith in itself is not enough. And he says this, faith that doesn't show itself by good deeds is no faith at all. It is dead and useless. Now, some may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds. I say, I can't see your faith if you don't have good deeds. But I will show you my faith through my good deeds. Did you ever realize, I can't see your faith because I can't see your good deeds. I don't see any good deeds. So we build this wall of faith. But if there's nothing that supports that and the way that we really live that out among others... God's going, I don't even see that faith. In, in, in Matthew chapter 7, when Jesus was talking about the Sermon on the Mount, one of the things he said, you will know them by their fruit. So we can have this beautiful tree. We can try to have everything ornate, but it's just dead if there's no fruit. And so again, where is the fruit in your lives? Where is the fruit in our lives? So I just want to ask you, what's this front that you're putting up? Is it a front? Is it backed up? by authenticity or is it just i come to church on sundays and that feels good and it makes people think i go to church and maybe i even act that way when i'm there but is it backed up not just by what you say but what you do and so what god is looking at here in one of my favorite verses in psalm 51 david is saying the true sacrifice that god desires is a broken spirit and see unless we are broken for the things that need to change in our lives we're never gonna we're never gonna break that wall down of the facade, and we're just gonna live in this world of kind of theory and talking about faith. But it's never really gonna happen. So let's get practical. Do something. <laughs> Do something. Make some changes in your home, in your family, in your marriage, with your kids, at your job. Be that kind of boss. Be that kind of employee. Be that kind of teacher. Be that kind of student that people see what you're doing as you're serving others. You know, it's you know, as a church, this is our most highly attended gathering every week is the sunday morning gathering right what happens when we do live love days everybody's busy you know it's a little harder to live love and go out a few hours on a saturday morning than it is to sit here for half an hour an hour isn't it it's a little harder i mean here you just the band plays i speak somebody teaches the children and um, everybody sets it up, then you leave, and then after you leave, everybody tears it down. And granted, we all have different roles, and maybe you have to do some other things, but it's, it's really easy to go to church, honestly. It's very, very easy. Low commitment. Nobody's keeping attendance on you, maybe, so maybe you come once a month, and you know, once in a while, if nothing better is out there, maybe, maybe you decide to just kind of sleep in, maybe there's football. Um, pretty pretty low commitment. Um, oh, spoke somebody's language there. <laughs> But what happens when you go take it to the next step and say, you know, well, we want to serve. We want to serve some people. How many of you for weeks on end have seen in the worship folder that there's some needs in our church? <laughs> Children's ministry. Children's ministry has needs. There's people here that are serving four or five, six weeks in a row watching and serve, not just watching, teaching our children so that we can be in here. And you know what? They never get to come in here. Do you think they want to come in for worship once in a while? Answer that out loud with me. Yes. At some point, it's going to take somebody to say, you know what, my heart is broken because I believe part of our mission is to teach children. And, and it's going to take sacrifice. Remember last week I said building a true, authentic life takes a lot more work than building a facade. And so many of us just settle for the facade. It's just easier, you know, buy a new wardrobe, do our hair, and pretend life is okay instead of really dealing with the garbage in our lives. Same with our faith. It's much easier to do the motions, go to church, sing the songs, you know, go home and, and just kind of keep to myself. You know what's hard? Serving. You know it's hard giving, tithing, sacrificing our resources to say, yeah, this I'm commit, I'm putting some. I'm putting, this is where rubber meets the road. I'm going to back this up. What Jesus teaches, I'm going to do. I'm going to serve. Yeah, they need a truck, somebody to pull, you know, or whatever. I'm going to find a way to do that. Or we need help setting up worship spaces. We've talked about that. It's been in there for weeks, you know. Yes, can you come early? Can you come set up? Does that mean you have to get up earlier on a Sunday? Yeah. Does it mean you might have to stay later? Yeah you know what? Some of those actions, some of those things we do begins to change us. That's the beauty of it. That's the... It's not just go and serve. What's in it for you is you're a part of what God is doing. Does it take time and money to go on a mission trip to Mexico or somewhere else, giving up a weekend, raising some money? Is it inconvenient? Do you have to get a passport? Do you need to go across, you know, risk some things? It's all scary over there in Mexico. I think everyone we've sent has come back. It's really not that bad, people. Taking our children. Um... It's actually quite enjoyable. Uh, life-transforming experiences. But if we can't get off the chairs, and if it's just the facade, transformation's not going to happen. And God is looking for authentic worship, worship that comes from the heart, worship that's shown itself in its actions. It's reflected in the things we post on Facebook. You know, when in one moment you say, I was at church, and the next minute you're cussing and posting an inappropriate picture. Hypocrite. Actor. At least be genuine and honest about it when you're here, too. <laughs> you know, and we don't want to create a wall here. And, and the wall isn't just everyone going, oh, I'm just a mess, I'm whatever. The wall is a genuineness. that The, the, the breaking down the wall is a genuineness that says, you know what, I'm in process. I, I'm on I'm a journey. That we're in a place here where I can honestly say to somebody, you know, this morning was rough. <laughs> this morning I'm really struggling. Things in my home right now aren't looking very good. That doesn't mean you broadcast it behind the microphone. Hey, everybody, I want you to look. This Find somebody that you can trust, that you can get behind the walls and say, you know, here's what's really going on. And then do something. Engage and watch what God can do when we serve, when we give, when you when you take the steps of forgiveness or anger or control or, or submission, all those things. And watch what God does as the transformation happens. And pretty soon you don't have to wear a, a facade anymore. You can be you. And whether somebody sees you at Walmart, at school, at the office, or at church, you're the same person through and through. And that's the kind of authenticity that God longs for. And those of us that don't pretend to be perfect, but are saying, hey, we're on a journey, and God is continuing to renew us, and God is transforming us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for these words that challenge us and that cut deep sometimes. Father, forgive me for times where I try to pretend to be what people expect of a pastor or a leader, and Hide the parts of my life that I don't want others to see for fear of whatever. Jesus, thank you for your son. Thank you for you, Jesus, that you came and that you left heaven. That you came naked as a child, as a baby, into this world and left the left heaven just to engage with us, God, and that that you broke down the barriers that you were willing to go to a cross for us. You weren't just talking about what it means to to be our God that loves us. You showed us by your very actions, by dying on a cross for the forgiveness of our sins. Thank you, Jesus, for not just being a God who's at, at a distance, but a God who's real, who's close, who's near, and who brings transformation. Father, deal with us this morning in whatever area in our lives where we need to just bring authenticity, maybe where we need to really get involved and show by our actions what we truly believe, and not just talk about it, but really do it. Father, help us not to be actors, but, God, to be genuine followers of Christ, a church full of people who really seek you, who struggle at times, who have victories at others, who together are following you. Help us to be real with one another in a place where we can let our hair down and just really uh, support one another through all the challenges. We love you, Lord, and we commit our time to you this morning. Amen.